copies to Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51. Tonight we're looking at the Lord's vengeance on Babylon. The Lord's vengeance on Babylon. Verses 1 through 14 covers the Lord's vengeance on Babylon. Judgment messages against Babylon here go back and forth. And they're asking the exiles, those captives, to leave the doomed city of Babylon. And these messages describe an event that the Jewish exiles were anxiously waiting for. They were waiting for Babylon's fall. And so they were written, these messages, before 539 B.C. So let's begin now in chapter 51 with verses 1 and 2. And it reads, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in leb Kamai, a destroying wind. And I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom, they shall be against her all around. So the Lord says here, he starts off by saying that he was about to raise up a destroying wind against Babylon. And, and Leb Kamai is basically a name for Babylonia or, or Chaldea, both the same place. But it was a code name for Chaldea or Babylon, whichever one you want to call it. Um, and it may be translated, the midst of those who rise up against me. And this code name may have been used to protect the writer from retaliation for writing this message uh, or these words. It might have had some magical significance as well. But it lost its purpose as a code name because Babylon is openly named in the same verse there in verse 2 or verse 1. So... The destroying wind in verse 1 would fit the winnowing process mentioned in verse 2. The word winnowers were those who worked to separate the wheat from the chaff. So when they would throw the wheat up, uh, the, cha the wheat and the cha chaff into the air, the wind would blow away the worthless chaff while the wheat fell to the threshing floor. So again, they'd have a pile of wheat stacked up on the ground. And then they'd take these winnowing forks and they'd throw the wheat up in the air. And as the wheat was thrown up in the air, the wind would blow the chaff away. And I always likened it to that, you know, that little thin skin that's on peanuts that gets on your clothes and on the floor and your hands and sticks in your teeth. You know, I, I don't know what it's good for, but nonetheless, God must have a reason for it because they put it on those peanuts. So, but anyway, the chaff was kind of like that. You threw it up in there, the chaff was blown away because it wasn't the good part. The wheat came down and, and settled on the threshing floor. And so using the winnowing illustration, Babylon would be blown away like the chaff in the wind. John the Baptist said that one day Jesus is going to separate the wheat from the chaff in Matthew 3.12. Look at verses 3 through 5 now. Against her, let the archer <clears throat> bend his bow. And lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men. Utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans. And those thrust through, her, uh, those th thrust through in her streets. 
For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. This is a call to Babylon's enemy to get ready for battle. And it warns those defending Babylon that it was no use to resist her enemy because she had been ordered to totally destroy Babylon's army. And the announcement of Babylon's destruction would remind Israel and Judah that the Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of, his ar- of heaven's armies, has abandoned them. He's still their God, even though their land, it says in verse 5, was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Verse 5 is a great confirmation of how God is so willing to forgive in spite of his people's sins. Look at verses 6 through 8. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall, recomp- he shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged or mad. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. The people of Judah were encouraged to get out of Babylon as soon as possible in order to escape its destruction. There wasn't any reason for the exiles to get caught, off, get caught up in Babylon's punishment for its sins. The time had come for the Lord's vengeance on a nation that deserved to be punished. Verse 7 says, Babylon was a golden cup. Well, Babylon used to be a golden cup, it says, in the Lord's hand. The words golden cup is a figure that is used for suggesting wealth and power. So Babylon used to be a nation of wealth and power. And it says in verse 7 that the nations drank of her wine, that is, experienced Babylon's wrath, and they went mad, according to verse 7, deranged. Now, Babylon would be forced to drink from the same cup. Afterwards, it would be thrown away like a broken cup of no value, no use. And verse 8 is a great statement of God's compassion, even for those that he punishes. He called for the Jews and other exiles in Babylon to cry for Babylon. And the request for balm for its pain includes uh, suggesting a mood of sadness for Babylon's incurable condition that not even any balm could help. So there was really no way to to solve their situation, no way to to remove their suffering. And it's an Old Testament teaching like the one Jesus gave in Matthew 5, 44, to love your enemies. Though they were going to be destroyed, there was a mood of sadness. As Jesus, you know, again, said to love your enemies. Verses 9 through 10. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone to his own country. For her judgments, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. So the exiles would have tried to heal Babylon, in other words. They would have tried to save the city. But healing was impossible. Why? Because God had already marked them for punishment. God had already said they were going to be destroyed, so there was nothing that could be done for Babylon. 
So the wise thing for everyone to do was to leave Babylon and go back to their own land. Babylon's judgment, that is Babylon's guilt, had reached up to the heavens like smoke rises up into the sky. And so, again, you know, man's sins, the world's sins, the nations, they reach up to the heavens. God knows. He knows exactly what's going on. And that's what happened with Babylon. Their sin, their guilt had reached up to the heavens, and God was going to bring their judgment. The words in verse 10, the Lord had revealed our righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that Judah wasn't guilty, but they'd been punished enough. The people would go back to Zion and admit that the Lord was responsible for their return. Verse 11 and 12. Make the arrows bright. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his plan is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Look at verse 12. Set up the standard or the battle flag on the walls of Babylon. Make the guard strong. Set up the watchmen. Prepare the ambushes, because the Lord has both devised and done what he spoke against the inhabitants of Babylon. So here's the instrument that God's going to use for his vengeance against Babylon. He's telling now the instrument that he's going to use to get ready for battle. He told the soldiers they were to sharpen their arrows. They were to lift up their shields. The instrument that God was referring to here in verse 11 is the kings of the Medes. And the reason for destroying Babylon is told to us in verse 11. He says it was for vengeance, uh, uh, vengeance for his temple. In other words, for destroying the Lord's temple, he was going to take vengeance upon them. He tells them in verse 12 to set up the standard. Others raise the signal, the battle flag for the attack. A blockade of the walls was part of the strategy for the battle. Strengthening the guard. Placing watchmen to protect against a surprise attack and planning an ambush, they were all part of the carefully worked out plan for attacking Babylon. And again, the kings of the Medes, the Medes were the instrument that God was going to use. God, but God made the plans, and God was behind the work that would come against Babylon. Verse 13 and 14. O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your covetousness. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, Surely I will fill you with men as with locusts, and they shall lift up a shout against you. So the Lord said the end of Babylon, the end for Babylon had come. She had made herself wealthy by robbing conquered people. And the most serious oath that could be taken is mentioned here in verse 14. The Lord has sworn by himself. There was no higher oath that could be taken because God is swearing upon himself. Enemy soldiers, he said, would fill the city, he says, like a swarm of locusts, and they would shout in victory. Verses 15 through 19. He has made the earth by his power. Notice, this is speaking of God now. He, God, has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom, and he has stretched out the heaven by his understanding. And when he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. 
Every metalsmith is put to shame by their carved image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are futile, a work of errors. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance, and the Lord of hosts is his name. Verses 15 through 19 covers a hymn of praise to the Lord. Now, make a note of it that verse 15 is probably one of the best passages on creation that you'll find anywhere. And it's repeated word for word in chapter 10 of Jeremiah and verse 12. It says here that God is doing the creating, which means God is included in the creating. Evolution leaves God out. And this verse has more wisdom about creation than all the talk about evolution put together. And from this verse, we see seven characteristics of divine creation. Again, let's look at verse 15. And it says, He has made the earth by His power. So here's the purpose. It says, He has made. This word made involves doing something with a purpose or an aim in mind. There was design and there was purpose in the creation. It wasn't an explosion like a lot of people will say. It wasn't an explosion in outer space that brought creation into the world. How many things that you know that explode have design and order? When something explodes, when something blows up, it's a mess. It's destruction. So how in the world can an explosion in outer space create this universe, this, this earth that is so miraculous and it's it just you know it, it, everything is in, in order and you know it's it's run and sustained i mean to think it was the result of an, of an explosion i mean really it, it, that makes no sense and then also in verse 15 it says he has established it okay this speaks of placing in other words this word established specifies putting something in place it also means to maintain so God not only put the earth in its place, he maintains it as well. Some people say or think that he created the earth and then left it to be on its own. No, he created it and he maintains it by the word of his mouth, the Bible says. And then verse 15 says, he stretched out the heavens. This speaks of performing. God simply stretched the sky around the earth. Only God could do something like that. And then the verse 15 says, he made the earth by his power power great power was necessary to bring about the creation i mean he spoke and it was but as we know god is omnipotent and god had adequate power to create the universe and to put everything in its place and then in verse 15 it says it was established the earth was established by his wisdom which speaks of his proficiency this word involves skill God was skillful in making the creation. And his, his skill in making the universe is like no other. It, th there's no equal. It's without equal. No explosion in space could possibly create a universe so skillfully, so orderly. And then in verse 15, it says, They stretched out the heaven by his understanding, which speaks of his prudence, that is, discretion. And this word, uh, understanding refers to intelligence. And any sane observation of the universe recognizes that great intelligence was needed to make it. 
to keep it in the order it is and to keep things running the way they are. Only God has that kind of intelligence. And there are three parts of the creation that are listed here. First, the home, earth, in verse 15. The earth, this refers to our planet. God made the earth as well as other parts of the universe. Second part of these, these, this, these three parts of creation are the inhabitants. Verse 15, the world, the word world. It has its meaning, uh, its meaning is the inhabitants. God created all the inhabitants of the earth. Evolution is not mentioned in scriptures. And then third, in verse 16, it speaks of the heavens. God put a sky around the world to make it suitable for living. And in chapter 10, the words in verses 17 through 19 were used to ridicule Israel's powerless idols. But here these same words describe the powerless Babylonian idols. Then in verses 20 through 26, God's, God, uh, uh, these, these verses cover God's power against enemies. Look at verses 20 through 23. You are my battle axe and weapons of war. For with you I will break nation in pieces. With you I will destroy kingdoms. And with you I will break in pieces the horse and its rider. With you, I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider. With you also, I will break in pieces man and woman. With you, I will break in pieces old and young. And with you, I will break in pieces the young man and the maiden. And with you also, I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. And with you, I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke of oxen. And with you, I will break in pieces governors and rulers. Look at how many times God says, I will. I will. He's going to use the Medes, but he's behind it. He's using them. God's in control here. Babylon was going to be broken in pieces, but by God. He's using them to break Babylon into pieces. Verse 24, And I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea, which is Babylon, for all the evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. This is talking about those who witnessed Jerusalem's destruction in 587 B.C. Babylon had been God's instrument, but now he was going to punish Babylon for all of the evil that it had brought. Verse 25 through 26. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you, Roll you down from the rocks and make you a burnt mountain. And then verse 26, They shall not take from you a stone for a corner, nor a stone for a foundation, but you shall be desolate forever, says the Lord. The context of, of verses 20 through, uh, 25 through 26, and the passage here, says the destroying mountain is Babylon. Babylon was going to experience such total destruction that nothing remained of value. Not even the stones. God says none of the remaining stones would be, a, would be any good to be used in any future construction because it would never be rebuilt. And then verses 27 through 32 covers the nation's call to come against Babylon. Look at verses 27 through 28. Set up a banner in the land. Blow the trumpet among the nations. 
Prepare the nations against her. Call the kingdoms together against her. Ararat, Mini, and Ashkenaz. Appoint a general against her. Cause the horses to come up like the bristling locusts. Verse 28, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, its governors and all its rulers, all the land of his dominion. So this is another battle cry to attack Babylon. He's, in verse 7, he's saying prepare the nations, literally sanctify the nations. And it's a reminder, you know, and we read in other places, that armies would go through religious rituals, rituals before going to war. They would, they would seek God's protection. Well, here they're seeking their God's protection and victory from their God. Several kingdoms were joined together in the battle, according to verse 27. The invading army would include a great amount of horses and riders that were compared, it says here, to a swarm of locusts. Now verse 29 through 32. And the land will tremble and sorrow. For every purpose of the Lord, notice, shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. The mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They have become like women. They have burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gate are broken. One runner will run to meet another and one messenger to meet another to show the king of Babylon that his cities is taken on all sides. The passengers are blocked, the reeds they have burned with fire, and the men of war are terrified. So in these verses, it speaks of the earth trembling, and it's writhing in pain, because everything that the Lord has planned against Babylon, it hasn't changed. Everything that God said would happen to Babylon, happened. They become, you know, they, it says that Babylon was going to be left barren, not one person living there. And it says her mightiest warriors, they're not going to fight anymore. They're going to stay in their barracks. They don't have any more courage. He says they become like women, fearful here in this situation. And the invaders have burned the houses and taken down, broken down the city gates. The news is passed on from one messenger to another. You know, they would hurry to tell the king that this city has been captured and that all the escape routes have been blocked. It says the reeds or marshes have been set on fire to keep the fugitives from going through them to, get, to escape, and the army is in panic. And then verses 33 through 35 covers the call for retribution. Look at this, begin with verse 33. And it says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, The daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor, when it is time to thresh her, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come. The Lord compared Babylon to a threshing floor that's trampled to prepare it for harvest time. At the beginning of harvest, they would prepare the threshing floor, getting it ready for threshing the grain by pounding it down until it was hard and level. So in the same way, Babylon was going to be trampled down until nothing was left. And Babylon would soon be stripped of its wealth and its splendor, just like grain when it's harvested. Verse 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. 
Let the violence done to me and my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea, Jerusalem will say. So the people of Zion are crying out that the king of Babylon had devoured them and thrown them into confusion. He made Zion, it says in verse 34, like an empty vessel. He left nothing there. And he's also like a serpent or a monster, it says here in verse 34, swallowing up its victim, filling its stomach with its prey, and then it says spitting them up or vomiting them up in verse 34. And verse 35 is a curse that's pronounced by the Jews on Babylon to bring about its destruction. Then verses 36 through 44 covers even more of the description of Babylon's fall. Let's begin with verses 36 through 39. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance for you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. They shall roar together like lions. They shall growl like lions' whelps. In their excitement, I will prepare their feasts. I will make them drunk that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the Lord. The, 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 Lord's ans- the Lord answered here the request for vengeance, and he promised to be their defense and their avenger. He showed his superior power over the enemy by drying up its sea there in verse 36. And because of what Babylon had done to Judah, the Lord promised to act as her defense attorney and to get Babylon to pay full damages. He was going to dry up the broad river, which was the Euphrates River, which was the source of her agricultural productiveness. This is, you know, they got their water for for their crops from from the Euphrates River. But he said he was going to dry it up. And he promised that he would make Babylon just a pile of ruins and just make it a place for jackals to live. So this great city Babylon would become a place where nobody lives And it would be a reminder of how mighty, of how the mighty have fallen. You know, tyrants, dictators, oppressive rulers, they may have their day. They may have their glory days. But sooner or later, God's going to judge them and God's going to bring them down. The Babylonians in the past had rejoiced. They had taken pride over their victims. like, Like young lions roaring as they were waiting to devour their prey. They'd have their time of celebration. They'd have their good times. The Lord would provide a feast for them, but afterward, he'd make them drunk. That is, make them drunk with the cup of wrath. And in their drunkenness, they'd be laughing, and they'd fall into this drunken stupor, and they'd never wake from it again. Verse 40. I will bring them down, God says, like lambs to the slaughter, like rams with male goats. Verse 44. Uh, the Lord would lead them to the slaughter, he says, like a lamb that was unexpecting at the, to go to the slaughter. Verses 41 through 44. Oh, how Shishak is taken. Oh, how the praise of the whole earth is seized. How Babylon has become desolate among the nations. The sea has come up over Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of its waves. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land in a wilderness, a land where no one dwells, through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon, and I will bring out his mouth what he has swallowed. 
and the nations shall not stream, stream to him anymore. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. The sea mentioned here, God says, is going to come up over Babylon. It's a metaphor for Babylon's enemies. In other words, Babylon's enemies are going to cover the land like an ocean, like the sea covering the land. Babylon was well known for its god Bel and the walls that surrounded the city. The outer wall was 12 feet thick. The inner wall was 21 uh, feet thick and with a 23-foot uh, uh, wall that, that's separating them. Towers were located on the walls at 60-foot intervals. And there was a ditch outside around the wall that was filled with water. Both of these symbols of Babylon's security were going to be destroyed. The Lord was going to show his superiority. He was going to show his power over the god Bel by bringing his people back to their land. The Lord had not been defeated by Bel. Instead, he had used Babylon, the Babylonians to, push, uh, to punish his people. Babylon's glory days was coming to an end. The nations would no longer go there. They wouldn't flock there anymore. Verse 45 through 48 covers another request to flee to Babylon. Look at verse 45. My people go out of the midst of her. That is, my people leave Babylon and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. And lest your heart faint and you fear for the rumor that will be heard in the land, a rumor that will come one year, and after that, in another year, a rumor will come, and violence in the land, uh, ruler against her. Therefore, behold, the days are coming that I will bring judgment on the carved images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be ashamed, and all her slain shall fall in her midst. Then the heavens and the earth, and all that is in them, shall sing joyously over Babylon. For the plunderers shall come to her from the north, says the Lord. God tells the people again to leave the doomed city of Babylon. He says, but don't panic. Don't be afraid when you hear the first rumor about the approaching armies. Because rumors will keep coming year by year. Violence will break out in the land as the leaders fight against each other. He says, because the time is surely coming when I will punish this great city and all of her idols. And when the people saw the weakness of their idols and the dead bodies, the whole land would be ashamed and they'd be disgraced, uh, 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 disgraced at how they put their trust in their idols. And the Lord says in verse 48, the heavens and the earth will rejoice because out of the north, here, this is speaking of the army that's coming out of the north. The kings of the Medes will come destroying armies against. These are destroying armies that will come against Babylon. And then in verses 49 through 58, these verses cover another warning of Babylon's coming destruction. Let's look at verses 49 through 50. As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon the slain of all the earth shall fall. You who have escaped the sword, get away. Do not stand still. Remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come to your mind. Another reason for Babylon's fall is given in verse 49. Babylon killed the people of Israel and others all throughout the world. So another request is made to the Jews in Babylon to stop lingering and to think about Jerusalem. Let it be in your heart. And it was time for them to start making their plans to go back home and reestablish their covenant with their God. Verse 51. 
We are ashamed because we have heard reproach. Shame has covered our faces, for strangers have come into the sanctuaries of the Lord's house. The exiles remembered the disgrace and insult that they had experienced because foreigners had committed the greatest blasphemy. They went into the holy places of the Lord's house. Verse 52 and 53. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring judgment on her carved images. Notice, he's going to bring judgment on their idols. And throughout all her land, the wounded shall groan. So, again, the Lord says again, he was going to punish Babylon's idols in verse 44. Look at verse 53. Though Babylon were to mount up to heaven... And though she were to fortify the height of her strength, yet from me, plunderers would come to her, says the Lord. So the Lord says again, he was going to punish Babylon's idols. Its wounded soldiers would lie groaning. Nothing could save Babylon. Not even if it could, you know, it says if it could build up its defenses that would reach up to the sky, the Lord would destroy Babylon. Verse 54 through 57. The sound of a cry comes from Babylon and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans because the Lord is plundering Babylon and silencing her loud, her loud voice, though her waves roar like great waters and the noise of their voice is uttered. Verse 56. Because the plunderer comes against her, against Babylon, and her mighty men are taken, every one of their bows is broken. For the Lord is the God of recompense. And he will surely repay. And I will make drunk her princes and wise men, her governors, her deputies, and her mighty men. And they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not awake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken down, and her high gates shall be burned with fire, and the people will labor in vain, and the nations because of fire, and they shall be weary." The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Mashiach, uh, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. So, in their time of disaster, Babylon's cries of suffering would be heard because the Lord would silence the usual noises of the city. But now he didn't, and, and so he would do that, and so their voices would be heard. Their suffering would be heard, their cries. And he says, wave after wave of the enemy would overcome the city like a huge tidal wave, washing over everything. Babylon soldiers would be captured. They'd be captured, and its whip, weapons of war would be broken. So the Lord would repay Babylon in full for what it had done to the other nations. Again, look at verse 58. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be broken down and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain and the nations because of the fire and they shall be weary. Once again, the destruction of Babylon's walls are mentioned here. Its cities, its city walls were one of the ancient wonders of the world. Its tall gates that ordinarily protected the city from invasion would be set on fire. They wouldn't be worth anything anymore. And the defenders would wear themselves out for nothing. All of their efforts would only serve as fuel for the destroying flames. And then in verses 59 through 60, where it says, The word which Jeremiah, I'm going to read it again, the word which Jeremiah the, the, the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Mashiach, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, and Sariah was the quartermaster. 
So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon, all these words that are written against Babylon. This symbolic act was, was, was carried out by Sarah, according to, uh, to Jeremiah's instructions. As the staff officer or the quartermaster, Sarah had the responsibility of going ahead of an official group to make arrangements to, to have an, a place to rest overnight. So he went with King Zedekiah to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. We don't really know what the reason was why he made the trip. But Zedekiah may have been called by Nebuchadnezzar as one of his puppets to answer charges that he was involved in a plot to rebel against Babylon. Look at verses 61 through 64. Verse 61 through 64. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you arrive in Babylon and see it, and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain, remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading this book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah wrote uh, what would happen to Babylon on a scroll. And he told Sariah to take the scroll and to perform a symbolic gesture uh, with it when he got to Babylon. He was to read the messages, the written messages out loud, and then add a verbal message of Dune for Babylon there in verse 62, where he was to tell them, You shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. So the reader isn't told whether whether the, the people that it would be spoken to would be large or small or even whether there would even be need to be somebody to to read it to. As soon as he read the scroll, he was to tie a rock to it and he was to throw it in the Euphrates River. And as he would watch the message sink into the river, he was to say that Babylon was going to sink just like that rock and that his people will fall. So symbolically, he'd be spelling out what was going to happen to Babylon, you know, Babylon's doom, that it would disappear and it would never rise again as a world power. So in closing, the chapter ends with, Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. The fall of Babylon was the message that the exiles wanted to hear. And after having served in exile, after they spent their time in captivity, the people saw the fall of Babylon as a sign that the Lord is God. Not Merodach. Not Merodach. The Lord is God. He is all-powerful. And he is in control of all things. And now it was time for them to go home. Father, again, we... We look at the chapter here, Lord, and we see God's, God's exactness, Lord. God's word for word bringing judgment against Babylon for, again, it, it's, it's iniquity, Father. It's worship of idols, Lord. And, Father, we, we come and we know that, Father, you are Lord. You are God. And that we are to have no idols before us, Lord. There's none like you. There's none above you. There's none that could even be compared with you, Lord. So why would we even try to look elsewhere, Lord? We thank you, Father, for being our God, 
for watching over us, for leading us, and for guiding us, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for all that you do and all that you are. And, Lord, again, a reminder that you are going to be, bring judgment to those, Father, who rebel against you, who worship other than you, Lord, the one and only living God. So, Father, once again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday morning.